0: Welcome to the mayhem. Dick and Lloyd mayhem. Media mayhem. Marketing a mayhem. You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. Well,
1: welcome in. Here we go with another Dick and Loy extravaganza. This time, we're talking about TV history. A lot of guys in the TV world worked as booth announcers, but only a few worked as a weather guy, a sports guy, a game show host for a bowling TV show, an author, a painter, and we'll find out what else. We're talking about the legendary Fred Broski. And we settled back into our comfortable haunt at the Diebels Cigar Lounge down on the plaza. If you hear any noise in the background, it's other guys enjoying TV and their cigars. And by the way, if you'd like to see the video version of this podcast, jump on YouTube and search out Dick and Loy's Media and Marketing Mayhem, and you'll find it there. But right now, for your ears only, let's get to Fred. Loy, you know, we've talked to a lot of people here on this podcast and it's about time we got down to talking to the real stars in the world oh we
0: got a star today
1: we got a star fred broski TV guy, booth announcer, weather guy, author. um, Game show host. And probably one of the happiest broadcasters on uh, television when he was on. Hi, Fred. Good morning. It's good to be here. Did that cover just about everything?
2: I was an advertising entrepreneur. also. (laughs) Oh, yes. All
1: right. But you started in radio,
2: right? I started in radio, KCKN Radio over on uh, State Avenue back in about 1956 or so. My first job on radio that I got paid for. And I paid $2 an hour. I did the Saturday night show from midnight to 6 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. What and was their
1: format back then?
2: Country music all the way. Was they it had, country? They okay, had the yeah. stars of uh, Cactus Jack Call was there. Yeah. Uh, Herbie Hoflicker, Guy Smith. Dal Stallard actually was the program director there. And I don't know, you guys probably are not old enough to remember, but Dal Stallard used to be a, a radio star on the old KCMO radio back in the 40s the 50s when everything was live yes yes and and i wanted to get into radio or television uh back in the middle 50s and i started going around to the various tv and radio stations in kansas city trying to find out how i could get on the job and george stump was a program director over kcmo radio george yeah and he said fred i can't hire you here i can't even audition he says because i have to hire people Who are really, really professional and seasoned? He says, but it seems to me that you have interest in the business. He says, I've got a friend who used to work here, Dal Stallard. Oh yeah, I used to listen to him on radio back in the (laughs) '40s. I think he did the Dinner Bell Roundup Gang or something like that.
1: The great names they had. So anyhow,
2: off I go over to KCKN, and it's it it was in an old farmhouse over like 39th and State Avenue or something like that, out where the the, um, the big shopping center was there, Indian Springs. Yeah. Yeah. So I go in and I knock on the door, and, and here's Dal Stallery, a huge guy. He's like as big as H. Roll He He's a huge guy, and just the nicest nicest guy you ever want to meet. He says Fred. He says, he says, you know, it's a kind of interesting business you want to get into, but he says it's a fun business. And I thought, why is he? Was he such a big star that I used to listen to all the time? Here he is over at the farmhouse with a small. KCKN AM and FM which is really small at that time I guess a pre-directional signal and you couldn't really get them all over town and it told me something about the business right from the get-go that you know you work in it when you're young but they don't always take care of you when you get in your senior years and sometimes that's in your 30s and 40s <laughs> yeah. but anyhow, he was an old guy probably 40 at the time so he said he says as long as you're here he says let's go upstairs to the studio and I'll cut a tape with you Man, I've never been on tape before. So he goes up there and he puts a reel to reel thing and he says, Here, read this newscast. And I read it. He says, Read this commercial. And I did a decent job on it. And he shut the tape down. He says, You know, you don't really sound too bad. He says, You need to work on your delivery since you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. But he says, Practice reading. And uh, if you want to, you can come over and read anytime you want. Man, that's a heck of a deal. All of a sudden I'm at a radio station I can practice for free. So a couple of days later, I go over there, and the disc jockeys, they were kind of a lazy bunch as far as reading the news and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So Guy Smith says, why don't you go over there and you just read my uh, five-minute news capsule for me at the top of the hour? So 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd go over there and read it. The, they had it the United Press World's Roundup. They had a five-minute capsule. You'd read, I'd read yep. it every hour UPI. three hours. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I was doing it for free. Just for the fun of doing it, which is probably illegal now. It probably wasn't. <laughs> so anyhow, <laughs> yeah. I, I did that for a couple of weeks and Dallas Stallard said I got an opening on the weekend, spinning records, country music. He says it's midnight, Saturday night till six o'clock, Sunday morning, he says it pays two bucks an hour. I says, I'll be here.
1: And, and you know those don't exist anymore. No. Those shifts don't exist. Those people can't get in that way and do that. It's all no. pre-recorded on the computer. And uh, yeah, those, those times to get that experience is not there. You were it, termed an intern back then, is probably right. what they would have right. called you.
2: So I, d- I did that for a while, several months, I guess. And during the week, I had a job that I worked in clerical work. I did typing and things like that. Also, when I had extra time, i drive to Topeka, try to get a job there. I mm-hmm. drove to Lexington, Missouri, try to get a job at, I think the station is KLAX. Yeah. I drove up to St. Joe. And I met a guy up there, KRAS was the name of the station there. I don't know if it's still KRAS. The guy's name was T. Casper, I believe. Mm -hmm. He really took a liking to me. So he said, uh, I came on and I read the news for him a couple times. He says, you'd be my new news director. I "I don't know anything (laughs) about news as long as I can do it.
1: News director, that's great.
2: I went to work for him full time and I worked for him for about, Three weeks and somebody, one of the announcers told me, says, You know, they're auditioning for a TV announcer over at Channel 2, with the big tower up in St. Joe, and I think it's at 40th and Farron Street. So I went over there to audition for that job, and dang it, I got it. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was really a neat deal. KBQ, so was it KBQ then? Yeah, KFEQ at that KFEQ, F- 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 yeah. Uh, right. KFEQ uh, yeah. TV. Yeah. And so I, I went over there and auditioned for the job, and I got it in about I don't know, five or six months later, I'm in the process of getting married all the time. (laughs) So I come back to Kansas City, and I get my old job back. I, I leave Channel 2, and we get married. And I get a little apartment on the plaza. And well, I really miss my television, even only worked it for a few months. Yeah, sure. So I called the guy up there. I said, if you got any openings, I said, I'd sure like to get back in. I said, I don't care what it pays. And so about two or three weeks later, I told Jane, my wife, I says, if I get a phone call, We're moving. She says, even though we've only been married four weeks, I said, we got (laughs) to do, what we got to do. "So dang it. I got the call, and off we go to St. Joe. And that was the start of my television. Okay,
0: there you go. Wow. Wow, and you can get, you probably were excited about the fact that people could get you in Kansas City. Well, St. Joe. I remember that because my dad watching the Cardinals game, flipping the channel with his toe.
2: Well, of course, that was my ultimate goal, to be in Kansas City be on kansas city television and yeah the saint joe signal was channel two so i think that it covers the curvature of the earth a little better than the higher channels Mm -hmm. and so we did get pretty good ratings in the northern part of the kansas city metro area as a matter of fact i I never did get to see the ratings but we used to do a kid show called cousin freddie's funhouse real neat name
0: in saint (laughs) joe
2: in saint joe okay so i did cousin freddie's funhouse and and i did that for about a year and a half and i had heard that we had a that we did have pretty good ratings in the northern part of the Kansas City area. And after doing that for a while, a year and a half,
1: I moved later to uh, Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. And Seems Ch- like it was Channel 2, the TV station in St. Joe.
2: Channel 2 in St. Joe. Channel 2
1: is yeah. what it was. We'd pick it up Channel up in the Northland where I lived. Yeah. yeah, And
2: a lot of people used to pick up different sporting events. they put a stick on top of their house and point yeah. I think it was maybe— The north, Cardinals were on there. The Cardinals were on, and yeah. then also the Chiefs games used to be on— some of the distant stations and and people in Kansas City area would put a stick on their house and point it towards either Pittsburgh, Kansas, possibly Mm -hmm. Sedalia, sometime they get the Chiefs games.
1: Yeah. When you came to Kansas City, how did that move come to TV again, Channel 4 or so?
2: I was working after I left Channel 2 in Columbia Yeah, I went to work for KOMU TV in Columbia, Missouri Okay, uh, I'm sorry Channel 2 in St. Joe then I moved to Columbia, Missouri mm-hmm. it was a university station it was owned That's by it was KOMU TV it was owned by the University of Missouri
0: mm-hmm.
2: I worked there for a great boss his name was Glenn Griswold when I first went there he he hired me to do the weather show and to do commercials because everything was live they had no videotape and the only film they had was a little bit of I guess, 16-millimeter stuff that the news department used. Yeah. So I did live commercials, and we were just a great unit together because they'd go out and sell these commercials, and we'd set up a little sign in the studio, and you'd stand stand next to the sign, and you'd do live spots right in the network shows. There'd only be 30-second pieces. Then I did... uh, did The weather show there, and I did a little fishing show once in a week. And then about 1962, a show was created called Junior Auction. The way it worked in Kansas City was that they sold potato chips from Kitty Clover Company, and on the back of these chips were little coupons. If you bought a small bag, it had like five coupons or a, a denomination of five. If you bought a big bag, say 30, buy a bigger bag, it'd say 50. So, what kids would do is cut out these coupons and use them like money and come to the TV station All right. and use them as money to buy prizes. Yeah. So in any case, Almar Fox Reshkin was the agency that handled that and Bob Bernstein was one of the uh, account executives. Wow. And so when they came to Columbia to put it on, I was the main guy down there a start as far as doing this kind of thing. So I contracted to do the show there. I think it made twenty dollars for a half-hour show. And I said, Boy, I'd sure like get the show in Kansas City. They said, Well, we're hoping you'd do that too. So I said, Man, that's really good. I said, <laughs> they said it's gonna be on channel four. So now I got a, a half hour show every week on Columbia and a half hour show on Channel Four in Kansas City. And this, of course, is my goal. I thought, man, once I get to Kansas City, all these TV guys that I've been calling on for all these years trying to get on their stations, I said, they're gonna see by God. I can do this. Thing. There he goes. Well, you know, you think you're going to get discovered. I yeah. Mean, just, oh, yeah, you somewhere, had, somewhere. You got confidence yeah. in your ability, OK? Mm-hmm. Sure. You got to do it. As a, so I go to my boss in Columbia, Missouri, Glenn Grismall, my old friend. And I said, Glenn, I hate to tell you, but I'm leaving. Oh, Fred. He says, we had a great relationship for three years. And he says, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to do Junior Auction in Kansas City, and I'm going to keep. He says, you know, these shows don't last very long. And he says, what else are you going to do? I says, when those guys up in Kansas City see me, I said, I think I'll get a job up there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he says, well,
2: I hate to see you go. So I left. <laughs> and about eight weeks later, the junior auction was off the air. And here I am with no job. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because wow. Because I was not discovered. Yeah. But Bob Bernstein, with this uh, small agency, he got me a couple of freelance jobs. And he also told the people at KBEA Radio, I think it was owned by Dickinson at that time or this right in the process of yeah. selling. So uh-huh. He told them about me and they put me on as a radio announcer and I worked at KBA, KBY and Mission, Kansas for four years. My TV career was over. So... I was on radio again,
1: and uh, what was the format of KBEA at music, that time?
2: world's most beautiful music. And
1: okay, and KBEY our, was kind of the underground.
2: Well, we played, we simulcast. Kind of thing
1: Did you? Okay, back
2: in the '60s, we simulcast. It was all good music. We played John Gary, Frank Sinatra, uh, Earl sure. Wrightson, and a lot of uh, strings, a lot of Boston Pops, Norman Luboff Choir. Yeah. Uh, Ray Kanna. <laughs> yeah. Conniv- Ray yeah, Ray Kanna. Conniv- 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 sure. Yeah. And so I'm I'm doing the radio there for a few years, and also I had an interest in auto racing, because we used we lived on the east side, and we used to hear the races at Olympic, Olympic so Riverside. That the guy at Olympic Stadium, the Riverside Stadium, his name was uh, Tom, whatever. But he had to leave and go back to his home state of Indiana. Okay. Tom Parsons was his name. Tom Parsons, and. Uh, the guy at Olympic Stadium, since I was over there all the time, going to the races, and he knew I was on radio, he said, you want to do the announcing? So I said, oh, God, great, yeah. So now I'm working Saturday and Sunday races, auto races, and working KBE radio. And this went on four years until 1966, and in 1966, Dick Siley, who was the production manager of Channel 9, he was also a race fan. And he went to all the races out at uh, Olympic Stadium. Had pretty classy races going on there. The Wells were there and Bud Honecker yeah. and uh, uh, Judd Larson, Bill mm-hmm. Sinault, a lot of yeah. pretty well known racers. And so, anyhow, after the one night of racing out there, the Dick Siley come up and said, You ever worked television before? I says, God, that's what I do. I says, I've been working television trying to get on at your station for years. He says, Well, Len Dawson does our sports, as you know. He says, During the training season, Hank Stram doesn't want him doing the 6 and 10 o'clock news for like August and the first half of September or something like that mm-hmm. for like a 10 or 12 week period. He says, would you like to do it? I said, God, yeah. He says, well, we're going to have auditions for it. So I go down there and this is a God's truth. I was I was just a nervous wreck. Fortunately, they had everything on prompter and I didn't have to say anything because <laughs> okay. I probably, probably really gagged. Well, I went over there and I, and I read about three minutes of copy and it came out Fairly decent, I guess. And the next day, the general manager called me. His name was Mark Wadlinger. He later, I think, bought KBEQ radio. No. But in any case, Mark calls me. And he says, uh, you're going to be my guy to replace Len Dossett. Man, I almost wet my pants. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this was a dream come true. I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to pay anything or whatever. But by God, I'm going to be on Kansas City television. I said, Mark, you know, I've never put shows together. I said, I'm just an announcer. I said, I don't know how to edit the film or any of that stuff. I can't even write the script. I, I probably got out of high school. He says, Don't worry, he says John Sanders and Don Fortune will put it together for you. They've been doing it for Lenny for three years, so they can oh, do it for sure. you. Yeah. Well, yeah. they both auditioned for the deal, you know. That didn't set too good yeah, with them like mm. that <laughs> <laughs> we became friends over the deal. So I did this for Lenny for about two months or three months, and then that came to an end. And then Mark Wadlinger said I'm gonna hire you as a reporter and put you in the newsroom. I said, Mark, I appreciate the offer, but I said, Claude Dorsey's a news guy. And I said, all those guys are journalists over there. And I said, I'm a show person. I said, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. He says, what do you do? I said, I do commercials. I do a kid's show, weather show. He says, you do weather? I says, yeah. He says, You're my new weather. You're the weather man. guy. <laughs> All right. So I got on the weather. That's how I got on the weather. Oh man. It was wow. a
0: lot more scientific back then doing the weather, right? I mean you had to know everything about the weather You up fronts.
2: You really want to know.
1: <laughs> oh man. Back
2: in those days you could do it was a the, rip and the, read. Well I'll tell you how we did the weather, okay? I'll I'll try to keep be as small as brief as I can. The weather department was a piece of paper you had in your hand, and it was a picture of the map of the United States. It outlined all the map. Which Here's how you got the highs and lows and the weather fronts. Call the Weather Service, the Weather Bureau at the time. Hey, Jack, this is Brosky, Channel 9. Tell me where the highs and lows are, OK? There's a low over Sault Ste. Marie, and you're writing this down. There's a low over Sault Ste. Marie, another one down around Amarillo, Texas, front between, a few showers on there, OK? High pressure over Atlanta, OK? You mark this down, that's your first map. Okay, where's it going tomorrow? He says, the high over Atlanta going to stay stationary. This low will move to Rochester, New York, and this low will move to Springfield. So you mark that down. The front between them? Yeah. And then he says, okay, now there's an occlusion over here. I said, don't give me an occlusion. I says, I have no idea what occlusion <laughs> is. And I'm the hell not going to try to explain this to people out there in the bowling alley or at the racetrack what an occlusion is. I said, I just don't know. He says, we also have some things going on at the upper level. I said, I don't want to know about the upper level. Just, just tell me what's going on on the surface. And that's how we did it. And that so then it. you'd
1: have two minutes to fill on the air. And then if you uh, what 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 was the weather map like then? Was it just well, was it the, the magnetic way, things that stuck on the state, wall yet? Or? No,
2: difference, no chroma key where yeah. you stand in front of a green wall or a blue wall. There, at Columbia, Missouri, we had a big... Map right behind you that was a state of Missouri. It was about seven or eight feet tall mm-hmm. and little hooks by each city in there. What you did was put address numbers on it. You know, you go to the hardware store and, and you buy these things to put on your garage at my address is 15350. Yeah. And you'd buy those things. You'd say, okay, temperature in Columbia is 51. That's oh, it.
1: Oh, okay. There and you Springfield, go. Springfield, Missouri
2: is 55. Five. You'd put a couple of fives mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the next show, you'd change all these things. So I remember like, I was
1: always so fascinated when they finally got to where they would put a little sunshine on the map, and something with the camera would make it kind of twitter a little bit, yeah, kind of move well, a little bit. That's you know? when
2: they brought the electronics in. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. But but we had uh, at Columbia we had a glass glass covered map. We had a mm. map with glass in front. Of it. We used a, a large oh, felt yeah, tip pen. Sure. You put the ink in this felt tip pen and you'd write on it. Sometimes it just kind of dry out, and you push it a few times. Then a whole bunch of ink could yeah, come out yeah, at once. Yeah. And at Kansas City, we had we moved up in the world. They used a glass map, but you had a clown white. You know the clown white they put okay. on a clown's face? Sure, make yeah. White face? Well, if you take that stick and you keep it in the freezer, it, it gets really firm, And then you can write with it on a weather
1: map. And it
0: it works like a... That is a trick I just didn't know.
1: That still may be useful today somehow. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I clown thing.
1: You know, the one thing though, talking about weather people and, and the way it's changed now, and all the technological and verbiage and four or five hundred maps from around the world. We don't know what they mean and all kinds of stuff. What I do appreciate about the weather guy, what I experienced also is everybody else is reading off teleprompter the weather guy ad libs for two and a half yeah. minutes. He's the good talker,
0: well, or she. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's you do. filled what you a
0: did. lot of time. Yeah.
2: Well, it I was, think it, you
0: did cartoons too, if I remember. Well, I did right. a lot of
2: cartoons. I always try to do it a little different. I put a boot and air on, and right. uh, and I I did cartoons, and that was part of. I, I was kind of my own worst enemy because I tried to make each show something really special. Mm-hmm. Like at six o'clock, I tried to draw one cartoon. Like I wanted. Some water so his flowers are awful dry or his garden was dry. Then at ten o'clock I'd try to do another cartoon. And after I do this for so many months, you you can't you can't just keep coming up with these new ideas all the time. And you do a good show and then you try to top it the next time and and it can become yeah, a stress sure. factor.
1: And you still have some of those drawings around, don't you? Well, I Did I, I see uh, you we, on a Joel Nichols interview showing some right, of those?
2: I have I, we probably threw away two or three hundred of them, yeah but I probably have two or three hundred of them at home. And they were down in the basement, and I told my wife, I said, I've got to get rid of all this junk in the basement. She says, You're not getting rid of the cartoon. And I gave them to my boy. I said, Here, you take them, you get rid of them. So Brian, he took them home, and he says, No, he says, These don't belong at home. They belong back at your house. <laughs> so he brings them back there, and, and he framed about 30 or 40 of them, and he pastes them up all
0: of the garage. Mm-hmm. And so. You know that might be an auction item, or well, probably will go in the Fred Brosky Museum.
1: <laughs> I, I think it will be. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> it's incredible. You wrote a book about all this back in 2017, right? Yeah. Tell us about that.
2: Well, through the years, people always ask you, "How do you get in the business? Where did you go to learn to do this? And uh, what happened when you went on television? Something strange happened. And how do I train my?" or tell my son or my daughter to get into the news business. And how did you get into it? Well, Ann Peterson, who used to be a a co-anchor that I worked with at KCTV5 in Kansas City, one day she said, Fred, you ought to write a book about all your experiences. People always want to know about it because you've done so many different things. So I took that to heart. And and as always, I procrastinated for a couple of years. And then finally, uh I sat down and I just started writing this stuff out every night for about four or five months or so. And Mm -hmm. then I called the couple of good friends in the journalism business to help me out. Jim Overbay, he was our former news director. Mm-hmm. He kind of scanned it, made some corrections here. And then Gene Fox, who used to write for the Star, did sports with him down at Channel sports 5. Writer, yeah. He's a, he's written several books. He's yeah. a real cool guy. He's yeah. smart. So I says, okay, you do this part. So he did that. Next thing you know, I got a guy from Overland Park, Brad Moore, he helped me put together. And, and so finally we got it printed and it came out and we've sold about 700 books and I figured if we sell another 300, we'll break even. But I don't care. It was fun
0: putting it out and- uh, You got it out you had there. a good team together helping you out. Sure did. That, yeah, a we had team. a good
1: team. Uh, can you still get your hands on that book today? Is it still available or well, is it all in your garage? We, where, we, it?
2: it was on the internet, on a, on a website, but we took yeah. that down. Okay. And you can buy it at uh, Chrisman's Poly Sausage. <laughs> Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> One of I get favorite all my good books there. Christmas yeah. there. And also there's a place in Turner, Kansas called Christie's Tenderloins. They really? have some of the books. How and, are their tenderloins? Yeah, Christie. Oh, their tenderloins are great. Are they're they are huge, but you know, horseradish, mustard, onion, oh, they're great. Oh,
1: plate-sized tenderloins. I tell so, you. Well, that's
2: cool. Also, Overland Park Historical Society, Bradmore runs that and they do have the book. You can buy it through the mail or you can buy it out at the historical site society is that,
1: is that the place it's at the king louis lane that, that's now? where king
2: louis used to be yeah and the reason they have is because we started our bowling for dollars show out there sure at king louis back Oh in was that 1960. king louis west king louis west yeah oh, sunshine
1: wow. strikes and spares is the name of the book well let's talk bowling the whole bowling the whole bowling history. Now you were after Bowling with Molin, is that right? Right. Sam Molin had Bowling with Molin. I think it was on
2: Channel Nine for a number of years. I think it went off in the early sixties. Okay. The mid sixties. And then I was with Channel Nine, owned by Metromedia from sixty-six to seventy-six or so. But about nineteen sixty-nine or seventy the show from Cluster Productions. They're the same ones that created Junior Auction. They are nationally syndicated shows, but locally produced. They mm-hmm. come up with the idea and the format, and they get the local stations to put it together. Well, they create this thing called Bowling for Dollars. They figure the format out, and they tell you how to pick the bowlers and what to do, and you go into training. Well, we auditioned for this show. I happened to get it. And even though I wasn't a bowler, we used to hang around bowling alleys when we were kids, you know, and, and I, a lot of my family members aunts and uncles were bowlers and it was just always a fun place to go you know so i loved the bowling show and it started off you have uh let's see two four seven bowlers every show mm-hmm. and they bowl they get two strikes in a row they win a jackpot it's progressively goes up twenty dollars with every bowler and that darn show got on the air and it ran for seven years isn't that something we went through probably eleven thousand or twelve thousand bowlers in that time and it was a staple for Kansas
0: City wow. television. That was one of those deals where the viewers had a chit or some kind of a, they had a chance to win. The viewers, right. They sent something. in, a, yeah, people
2: at home sent in a pin pal card. Mm-hmm. They have their name, address, and phone number on there. And it goes in this big drum. Every time a bowler comes out, we spend a the drum. They reach it under, hey, Joe Lewis up there in Gladstone. If Whatever we win, we're going to share it with you. You're playing so, with man, Joe Lewis. Oh, so, that's cool. And, and so that's how it worked. And we got jillions of these cards and and i'm telling you the post office made more money on this thing than anybody
1: it was (laughs) it was really quite a show and uh now you you bowled around in a couple bowling alleys and then they put lanes in the the kmbc studio right we started off
2: in uh king louis west and we did um we brought the whole crew out there and videotaped eight shows on saturday and seven shows on sunday which is enough for three weeks run Five shows a night 637, 37 Monday through Friday mm-hmm. and we did that for about maybe three or four months to see how the show would take off and the numbers were really really good they never gave us the numbers because this management always afraid if you saw the show was doing good you'd want more money and if the show was doing bad well you didn't want to feel bad the show wasn't doing bad or whatever yeah, I don't yeah. know but they just didn't show us the numbers anyhow the numbers had to be pretty good so they come to the studios <laughs> we had to we had a huge studio on Channel 9. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it was maybe a 100-foot square or so. And the Brunswick people, they come in and they put two bowling lanes, right? They knocked the back wall out where the stagehands used to yeah. go sleep and play, yeah. you know? They put these two bowling lanes down there and built some risers. And all of a sudden, we got two bowling lanes in the studio. And then every Monday, we'd have all these people come down here and we'd do three bowling shows between 7 and 9 o'clock at night. Production costs went way down because instead of taking... Everybody out on remote location sure. on their days off, yeah. you know, they just did it on part of the regular shift. Mm-hmm. It, it was real easy. We did three yeah. shows Monday night, three shows Tuesday night. i do the weather at 6 o'clock. Go in there and powder up a little bit, go out and do three shows, and then come back and do 10 o'clock weather. <laughs> do this for about seven years and see if you don't go nuts, okay? Wow. People say, why are you so funny, Uncle Fred? Well, you don't know what it's like doing three You still tests. hear
1: the sound of a bowling ball rolling down the aisle at <laughs> but, night. Your... It,
2: was, it was really so much fun to have it in the studios because you yeah. got to realize, we had Larry Moore down there and John Sanders and Fortune and Bob Worley and Gary Roberts and Charlie Gray. We, we had a bunch of great people. And, Marilyn wonder, Morris was a great, great yeah. news gal.
1: I wonder when they tore that out of there.
2: Well, they tore it out about 1977 or 78. Did they? Okay. But we had all these guys from the newsroom, and like on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the weekends, we don't use those things. So like we'd get down there at 9.30 and get ready for the news. We got everything prepared. You'd holler at the stagehand, hey, Hey, man turn on the machines we'd turn the machines on there's lenny dawson get the bowling ball gonna practice bowling a little bowling and larry moore goes up there and throw and they'd bowl for 15 or 20 minutes before the news that's cool and, i mean what great what great times to work in television wow and here you got a, a, a hall of fame quarterback you're working with and we'd play catch lenny always had a football around we'd play catch with all these guys glenn hansen was there for a few years oh yeah I remember just, glenn it was just a riot where we're a great family having a lot of fun together and when lenny threw the ball to you boy he had tossed it it's real easy to catch it came to you just it's just easy to catch it just landed soft yeah
0: and
1: then
2: every down and then he'd say, here's one with a little bit of zip
1: on it. yeah
0: <laughs> <Here's> <laughs> like i really do I I drill a hole, hole right my through my gosh. gosh wow yeah i remember charlie gray well he he hung around a long time didn't he charlie he was a great guy
2: here's what happened back in the early 70s probably 71 or 72 the business was really going through a transition because all of a sudden everything was live. Now everything's going to videotape or audio tape cartridges for all the voiceovers and everything. So they started getting rid of all the announcers. They got rid of Harvey Brunswick and, and uh, over channel five, they got rid of Ken Coy, uh, got Donnie Warnock and all these guys they are just spinning them off. Ken Motley. Ken Motley. Oh yeah. Murray Johnny just off Johnny of DAF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny Bilyeu at our place. Yeah. And, uh, next thing you know they're all gone yeah it
0: just happened like like that in a year or two and charlie came back on the air do you remember the channel uh, was it 50 fast cast or what Uh, that that was bodine he well got on that no charlie was the last guy to put on the trench coat and go out there it was a radio station
1: well i worked Uh, with charlie on wdaf am Charlie Gray. when he was there Charlie Charlie Gray yeah yeah when yeah. he was the news director and, there and, and I was, would go I out. would sit in the office there with him and I was doing music director for for a.m. and he'd be in there and harping about everything and anytime the fire bell went off he was out of there I'll tell you he got there before the fire truck he did yeah Charlie
2: he, is a great news guy I mean he died in old news guy he was. was the
0: hard-boiled
2: <laughs> reporter <laughs> man <laughs> on the scene <laughs> He was really a cantankerous guy. When They spun him off at Channel 9, and then he ended up as WDF radio news director. Mm-hmm. And I developed a friendship with Charlie. I did several shows with him at Channel 9 before he spun off. I was doing a noon show with him one time, and I had a lot of respect for all these news guys. But Charlie was a hard nut to crack. I, I just couldn't make a friend with him for a long yeah, time. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he
0: was gruff.
2: I mean, he was like Once you got a, to
0: know, know him, he
2: was a great he, guy. Just rough and gruff, you know, and yeah. just like one of your mean uncles— And no matter what I did, I could not crack that shell. And one day he introduced me on the air and he says, well, here's Fred. He says, let's see if your weather forecast any better than it was yesterday. (laughs) So I get on. I said, folks, I want to tell you something. Charlie Gray has been wanting to do this weather for years. But so far, he hasn't memorized these states. (laughs) (laughs) And that broke the ice. And I'm telling you, I looked over at him and he gave me a thumbs up. We were were the best buddies ever since that time. And I'll tell you. How This was probably in 1967 or 68. I was doing a, a, quite a bit of freelance announcing at that time, and I, and I had a little one-man ad agency out of my house. And Charlie Gray lived right next to an advertising guy for Bellis Hess Warehouse over in North yeah. Kansas City. Bellis National was
1: national, national
2: uh-huh. uh, mail-order house like Montgomery Wards. Yeah. And this neighbor next door to Charlie... Comes over to him, they're out cutting the grass one day. He says, "Charlie, he says we got to dispose of all this old merchandise. We're going to go bankrupt." He says, can you tell me any advertising agency guy that I can trust to get with this." He says, "I've known a lot of advertising people. Just, there's only one guy in the advertising business I trust." He says, "Well, who is that?" He says, "That's Fred Brosky." I couldn't believe it. This guy calls me, and I'm just small potatoes. I'm just I'm working with the Olathe car dealers and Shuko's House of Lamps. Little. Mm-hmm. Dinky mm-hmm. places because I'm not a full line agency. I'm just I do out and write the spots and then I do the mm-hmm. spots. This guy calls me and I go over to Bellis Hess and He says, "Okay, we want to get rid of all this merchandise and you'll be our ad agency." And he says, "Don't worry about collecting the money. I'll walk you right down to the bookkeeper, so you won't have to worry." And those guys, they spent a whole bunch of money in about a year that really helped. Wow, it helped our deal. I mean, they were yeah. on television almost every day for three months, and it was a great great account to have huh. and uh and Charlie was responsible for that sure I tried to I tried to buy Charlie lunches and everything else because we'd go out he says you he says you took care of a friend of mine he says that's good enough and I said well, I'd like to pay you something he says no <laughs> we went out to Rosedale barbecue since it was close to WDF we used to go out there once in a while and get a short end yeah yeah we get a short end he says, man, that thing's really good. He says, let's get another one the strawberry pop to go get it. So we <laughs> each get another short end. And we're getting full, two short ends. I said, I got a couple of calls to make, Charlie. This is 1975 or so long time ago. I got to go, Charlie. He says, Fred, let's split a short end. <laughs> so we each <laughs> ate two and a half short ends.
1: Wow. You talked to us early before we started recording. I wanted to get that story again about you Getting into the uh, the billiards hall, the the pinball machines, and all that kind of stuff. What was the deal on that as a kid well, growing up?
2: That's uh, part of a misspent youth. It's just, yeah. I used to love to caddy, and of course caddies like to play golf. And When you're doing this, you throw up 13, 14 years old. I lived at 23rd and Van Brunt Boulevard on the east side. And right down at 24th, it was Vic's Pool Parlor. I couldn't get in because it was too young. But right there at the window you could look in, there's guys playing pinball machine every night. A bunch oh, of man. old guys, twenties and 25, 30 yeah, years old. Yeah. They're playing these pinball machines. Man, I wanted to play that so bad and you see the pool tables over there. I'd never played pool before. I wanted to do that. I wanna be a big guy, be like the grown ups. And so um, eventually I got to be sixteen and could get in there and, and so I worked in the pool hall, racked the balls and cleaned the tables and matter of fact I was racking balls and playing tables when I went out and drove up to St. Joe one time and auditioned for a job and I ended up going Racking balls and doing TV commercials. Crazy world sometimes. <laughs> I don't you, think you could do that now.
1: This kind of thing never happened, did it, where you did bowling for dollars, but as a kid, you were a pin setter at a bowling alley. <laughs> no. Boy, what a dream story that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you,
2: I hurt my knee when I was about 15 years old, yeah. and I never did bowl because every time i try to bowl a ball, i twist my knee pretty yeah. bad.
0: Yeah. But well, I how's your the bowling game show. now?
2: You still got a pool game? I don't play pool. I've got a couple of real nice cues. I play. I had a billiard table and also had a five by ten uh, pool table. But I never did play for the past. I put, sold both my tables and I don't play anymore. But I just I was just an average player. But I loved the game.
1: Did you ever buy a pinball machine for never your? Never did buy a
2: pinball machine. Yeah, you know?
1: that would have been good. I, I got into electronic games. I played Pong for
2: about. Yeah. A couple of weeks and that was enough for me
1: uh, you're not into any more you don't do uh, Fortnite or anything uh, any of the online no games video games there. for me yeah. i don't even i don't even own a smartphone
2: okay well let's All talk right. about
1: fred brosky the artist pardon me you're an oil
2: painter yeah as a matter of fact i'm i'm not r- really an artist but when i was a kid i painted a couple of pictures and i always wanted to do a little oil painting yeah but because of my career and i was so focused on broadcasting and recording and things like this, I put it off. I put it off until I finally got out of the business and I started painting a little bit when I was about 50, 55 years old. I painted maybe 80 or 100 pictures and now I procrastinate. I've got an easel. I've got all my paints ready to paint and I'm I'm going to try to get back this afternoon if I can. You got any
0: halfway done
2: ones? (laughs) Oh yeah, I've got several of them that have started. I've got probably 10 of them that started. I got polar bears and in Still Lives, and I got pictures of them. My mom, I've been working on, but I haven't finished any of them. And they've been they're in progress for the last year or two. You know, when you're not an accomplished artist, and you're just experimenting all the time, it's not that you can just sit down and create this stuff. It, it'll drive you nuts, you know. if you, you try to mix the right color, and you put it up there, and you see it's wrong, it's wrong shade, it's wrong color. And then I get frustrated, and then sometimes I don't ever get that picture yeah. finished. And sometimes I get a picture I really like.
1: Well, you know, as you get older, it's so much harder to see those numbers on the paint-by-numbers <laughs> things. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? There was no mixing on those, was there? It was either this color, yeah. that color, this
2: color, One, that two, color, Two, three, four, five. There I did go. a couple of those long time uh.
0: ago. Well, Fred, you were you did the hat trick then, four, five, and nine, right? Yeah, four was very short. Short, uh, but you yeah. were there. I worked there for just a short period. I don't imagine too many people have done the the hat trick in Kansas City. You no, know, I
2: never did anything on 41 other than a couple of commercials. I did commercials. That, that was later, though. There, yeah. A couple of uh, brothers ran uh, the programming uh, general manager and program director at Channel 4. Bob and Bill Warmington. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember them.
1: They were there when I was there at All yeah. Night Live but on 41. But these 49. guys, they mm-hmm.
2: really ran a pretty tight ship down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get on as a staff announcer. This is back in the early 60s. I can't I can't break the shell. It's, it was just tough because the business is go, trans, going through this transformation. They, they, Each station in the country had five, six, seven staff announcers. Next thing you know, they have three, four staff
0: announcers, then one or two. Well, it's hard to get on when they're cutting down on it. Now, who were the, the characters? Uh, everybody of a certain age remembers these big personalities that were people used to keep a job for quite a while on the local stations. Who were your best friends in the media? Who were the. You mean guys that I worked with? Yeah. I got awfully close to Larry Moore. Uh, Larry
2: Moore and I very, very close. And also um, Charlie Gray and I had a. We spent a lot of lunches together. Jim Overbay was a, was a reporter at Channel 9. He went on to become news director uh, at Channel 5. We To this day, we still have lunches together uh, with, with our families, uh, and I'm very close to him. Don Fortune, I've done a lot of shows with him. Leif Lysik, he started off at uh, Channel 5 as an intern in sports. He did a lot of sports shows. And I'm kind of phasing out my broadcasting. When Leif comes there in the mid-'80s, all I'm doing is a lottery show and a few things like that. So Leaf is r- really interested in golf. And I hadn't played but once a year or so for years after caddying a lot when I was a kid. So we started playing golf together. Man, we had a ball. We wasted about 15 years <laughs> of good time just playing golf. And we'd go out every week and play two days a week. And uh, in the winter months, we'd go out to Phoenix and play like 10 or 15 days in a row. We played 36 holes a day. And uh, finally, when I got in... Wow. And when I got into my 60s, I told him, I said, enough's enough. Now, where were you playing? We played, we played at Shirky's a lot. We played at Tomahawk. We played a oh, lot yeah. at Albemarle. We played there. Oh, good we, course. We yeah. managed to play uh, at Sunflower and uh, up at uh, Parkville, uh, Smithville, uh, the two courses up at Smithville.
0: Yeah, now, we, you had a nice, wholesome image, but back then there was, there was a little bit of drinking and stuff going on in that business. Oh, not a lot of drinking. There's <laughs> got to be some crazy stories. Well, we, uh, down at Channel 9, we
2: would have to, uh, when we got off the news, you know, sometimes it's a stressful factor. These guys are working, trying to get their film edited and everything. Usually not too much for the weather guy, but if you do a couple of commercials and a lot of booth voiceovers and you do a couple of weather shows and three bowling shows, you want to drink at 10.30, so we'd go over Jerry's across the street and there was a Jerry's bar that was a real nice place. We would meet there you know, two or three nights a week. We didn't say we're going to the bar. We said we're going to choir practice. And that's what a lot of guys told their wives, we're going to choir practice. We'd go over there, and, and we'd stay there for 45 minutes or an hour or so. But but we, I don't have too many crazy stories about the guys that I could really tell you. But I, one thing on Bowling for Dollars, there's this young gal. I interviewed her briefly, and I sent her up on the bowling lanes. This is... Channel line right next to the approach, there's a ball return over here. Old fashioned deal, the ball rolled down and comes up this ball return, and the ball sits there. People make the delivery towards the pin, they throw the ball down in their right foot. A lot of times, they come up and hit this ball return, go bang. Bowlers aren't supposed to hit that, but they do once in a while. Well, I introduce this gal. I said, Okay, Mary's gonna go two in a row. Here she goes, and she throws the ball down there, and I, I hear this bang. And, You know, my mind's going a mile a minute. I'm watching the pins. I got stuff I'm worried about, who the pen pal is. I said, oh, man, I I hope she didn't hurt herself. And and bang, the pins go down. I said, well, here. And she comes back, and she's all red-faced and everything. I says, Mary, what's wrong? I says, you didn't get the strike. I'm sorry about it. I says, did you hurt yourself? And she she says, I want to go home or something
0: like that. I
2: said, said, I'm I'm befuddled. I have no idea. And so I said, we'll be back after this break. So I sign off. And we go black for a minute, and I'll look up the audience. Man, these people are roaring. I says, What did I do? What did I do? This one guy, he does this. (laughs) I says, What do you mean? He says, She farted on the air. I said, Oh, man. (laughs) That's the bang I heard. And he says, But that wasn't the funny part. What do you mean? He says, The funny part was, You asked her about it on TV. (laughs) It was kind of embarrassing for both of us
1: that's great and didn't i see the story one time about a guy that showed up drunk did a little drinking yeah
2: that's one guy okay he works at armco steel i think he worked on the mail, nail machine down there he tells his boss he's going to get off at four o'clock and he says hey boss i want to be on a bowling show tonight i'm not going home I was, the guy says really he says, what time do you have to be there he says 6 six thirty. 30. i gotta be at channel 1. he says good he says going over buy a drink get your rear up for the tv station so he goes over to the local bar, and he, his boss buys him a drink, and then his buddy buys him a drink. By the time he gets down Channel Line, he's had five or six Jack Daniels, and he's four sheets to the wind. And so this blue door opens up, and I says, "Well, here comes Charlie Miller from Armco Steel." The door flies open, and he just walks out like this, and says, "Hey, Fred, how you doing? <laughs> Here's your pin pal, go up there and bowl, Charlie."
0: <laughs> did you know any of the uh, kid show hosts? Uh, did you know? Did you run across Tori and? I mean, Tor- I heard he was a great guy, but old Gus was a, a bad drinker.
2: <laughs> Tory and old Gus uh-huh. were talented. Old
0: Gus, Gus was a jerk, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he, was,
2: he was not a dirty old man. Tory o- was a great talent. You know, he did a lot of radio stuff, and he had a real sharp mind. See, the radio guys like Wilson and Tory and Murphy and Dan Henry, these guys, Randy Miller's another one, these guys, you see them in person— and their mind's going like this all the time. I mean, they can do three hours. It's three hours. You know, I do two minutes and thirty seconds. I have to stop. These guys go on. You can just see their mind. Kind of improv guys, really. Yeah, they're they're so good. And uh, Tori was great. Another guy could do anything was uh, Frank Wizzardo.
0: Wizzardo. Wizzardo. Dog was kind of bad though. He he drank too. I heard. <laughs> Tell us a Wizzardo story if you have it. Okay, Wizzardo. He liked to put on a show, as you know. Okay,
2: when I was doing the booth announcer, I'd intro his show or do a commercial or something. Then I'd go out and watch him. I just loved live television. Wiz would be doing a show, and a couple of times he did something. Boy, I'd, ha, 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 man, and I, I, I knew I'd be picked up on the mic. God, I got to keep it down, Freddie. And then when they would go to a commercial or something, I said, Wiz, I said, I'm sorry. I laughed at all. I said, oh, no, no, no. He says, always oh, react. He says, I live for that. I live for that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, don't force it. He says, <laughs> <laughs> but Wizzo, he was also Frank Wizardi. He was also a director. He was an MC. He used to MC a lot of the shows down at the old Tower Theater when they did burlesque and, and vaudeville. And that okay. House. And when we'd just record a commercial, he'd be up at the director's console He'd say, okay, uh, Frank and Frank Thomas, the state hand. he says, get it set up over there. We'll take camera through, then we'll go to uh, two, and we'll roll in about five minutes. He'd just say, okay, Fred, go out there and stand. Or Johnny, Bill, you go out there, Fred, and do this. It's just simple stuff. But now all of a sudden, there's a, there's a group of people taking a tour. So there's 12 people standing there at control room. Now we're going to do the same thing. He says, okay, videotape, we'll roll this on high band videotape color. We'll take it on one, stand by. (laughs) Make it sound like Universal Studios.
1: I'll tell you something,
2: I don't know if you know, Bill Hare, he he was a director at uh, Channel Nine, one of my very dear friends, we lost him a few years ago, but he was one of these directors that was really nervous. I mean... You could just see it all the time he was up there. Was live television, good reason to be nervous. But but, you, but he's always tense up there. We're doing the Kansas City Philharmonic Show, and we've got all these musicians out there. Hans Svinger's conducted the orchestra, and I got a closing. I got a 30 second close. Production of Kansas City Live, Kansas City Philharmonic Orchestra, such as Hans Fleet And I can see Bill in the control room here through the glass, and I'm getting aware. It's a pretty big deal. I'm getting ready to do the closing. He hollers at me. He says, "Freddie, he says you got to do this show quick." He says, "We're running too long." He says, "You got to do it in eight seconds." Well, I wow. said, "Bill, I, it's a thirty-second deal. I can't do it. I just can't do it." He says, "You got to do it in five seconds." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Bill, I can't. I can't get all the credits." And he says, "Go!" I said, "This is Fred Brosky speaking."
1: Thanks for watching. Wow!
2: And that was like, <laughs> the oh, <laughs> <Yeah. Wow. laughs> and, and, and show. <laughs> They taped this show on these huge reels. I think it was two-inch or four-inch videotape. Each one of these reels weighed about 15 pounds. It was an hour, hour and a half reel. And they took the thing in in the videotape room, these huge machines. They're like two wash machines. And the engineer took this, and normally you store it over here where you save it. For some reason or other, he took it, and he put it on the eraser, and he degaussed it or degaussed yeah. it, he erased it, he deleted
1: it. Right, I guess. we know we know what that word means. <laughs> we older guys know what degaussing is. And so know? that was all erased an
2: hour and a half and they couldn't redo it, so I wow. think they...
1: Yeah, you know, when I was at KCMO in the early 70s, they still had the acetate machines back by the back door that they would cut the audio in and cut yeah. actually cut cut the acetates right there and that's the way they played it back. So, good stories, good, good tales. When,
2: when I was at Columbia, Missouri, you know, we're talking about the announce booth, a lot of people don't know what it is. Well, the old-fashioned TV stations, every one of them had a a, a room that was maybe six feet square, just small room with a couple of monitors in it. And anytime you heard a voice and you didn't see the announcer, they probably originated from that voice. They had real good microphones. Columbia, Missouri, we had one a student was uh, with a J School. We had a lot of journalism students there. Great looking guy, great voice. His real name was del wade but he went by duke wade when he'd go on the air and announce it's <clears> it <throat> always uses big boy voice okay here's the latest news and it and talk like this one he's just normally talking then when he'd sign off every every bit that he'd put on the air he'd always in this is duke wade reporting he always in <laughs> yeah. like that okay and he's doing this in in the booth it's part of the news show this is just the audio part okay so one time they had the city elections and here comes duke and here sitting right next to me and uh, slides come up and say the city dog catcher, so and so on that, and the county did this, and the new mayor is so and so. And he says, and that's the latest from the shitty elections.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah! All
2: of a sudden, boy, you see everybody in control, and they just stop like this, and he stops, and and he just points his finger. To go! And I open the mic
0: and I said, that was Duke Wade reporting. <laughs>
1: He didn't uh, talk to
0: me for a couple of weeks. That's funny. Which one did, did you? Now it's live TV. You did it for so long. What are some of the goofs that you still remember? Were there any of them that just eight, you uh, couldn't get over it? Well, I broke. I
2: when I first got into business, I did break up a lot. As a matter of fact, I broke up quite a bit on Channel Nine because sometimes the stagehands or some of the other announcers they'd, they'd break up. Larry Moore one time he enters with me he says. He says, "I don't know how I ended up with this uh, Italian sportscaster, Fortune, and a Polak weatherman doing this." <laughs> and I started laughing, at and, and I really had a difficult time getting through the deal. And he really got in trouble for that. In Columbia, Missouri. I was—I I don't know if it was Huntley-Brinkley. At 6:15, you take the hour. Six o'clock, we did local news, 6 to 6:15. National news comes 6:15 to 6:30. Everything live. We had news and weather at 6 to 6.15, and either Huntley Brinkler or Swayze or Chancellor or somebody like that did the 6.15. I don't remember who it was. And I did the weather show at 6.10 to 6.12, and then I had to do a live commercial at 6.14.30 to 6.15. And it's live, and I got to get it done in 30 seconds. And it was only like a 20-second script, so it allowed me to do a little movement. It was for the Beverage House, which was a place that sold beer and liquor, sporting goods and worms and minnows it was a complete store out on 040 highway in columbia missouri so here i go i, I hi fred for the beverage house if you're gonna do some hunting here's a nice winchester shotgun for you good. if you're gonna do some fishing here's a nice uh, garcia rod and reel oh that's a good one now you're gonna do some swimming here's some swim fins and i go arr, 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 <laughs> like a seal and the camera shook and pete brett's was a camera guy he looked out the side of the camera and he was, and i started laughing like, i can't finish the commercial and i i run about 30 seconds long and now we enter the network show okay in progress okay? we joined this show in, in, in progress the studio, in the studio everybody just laughing like crazy i got tears coming out of my eyes and it was a disgrace i was supposed to be a professional announcer but it happens and so i i go back to my booth chair and i said in there Oh, God, I'm glad that thing's over. Now, of course, the phone rings. You could tell by the way it was ringing. It was angry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, uh, this is Griswold, your boss, your general manager. I want to talk to you about that spot. I said, Glenn, it was really funny. You should have been here. He says, I'll see you at 9 o'clock in the morning in my office. <laughs> I said, Glenn, I, said, I work the late shift. I don't get out of here until midnight or after. He said, I got there at 8 o'clock in the morning
1: and got chewed out royally. The great stories. How many years total would you say? What's your broadcast year count?
2: Well, my first job in broadcasting was about 1956, and my last thing on the air, well, actually, I did a spot about a year ago. Yeah. But uh, for working for a TV station was 1998, but full time. I ended in 1984. But it's interesting about my career. A lot of people think I've worked a long time for a lot of different, for a station, but I've never worked for more than four years at a time on a 40 hour week. You know, I worked for Channel 8 Columbia three years, I worked for KVEA four years, I worked for Channel 9 four years, quit them, went back, worked three years, then worked two years bowling, did part time 1970, worked full time for Channel 5, 80 to 84, and then left that and did part time. So I've got kind of a checkerboard career. But even though I wasn't working full time for the stations, I did a lot of commercials back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. And people, you know, they just they see you, they still think you're working. With the station. Mm-hmm. Sure. It yeah. was the '80s. I was working. Gotta tell you this story. I think I was doing the weekend with Weekend Weather with a female anchor. Doesn't make a difference, female or male, but it just happened to be a female anchor. And uh, we're get, getting ready to go into the break, the Cue My Weather show. And she said, we understand there's been a gigantic erection in the Pacific Northwest, and there may be several injured and possibly fatalities. We'll be back in a moment. We go to a break, and I tell her, I said, you know, you said there was going to be a gigantic erection, or there was a gigantic erection. And I says, it's eruption i says tremendous difference I says, I says but you know this time of night this a lot of people are eating popcorn drinking <laughs> beer you know they don't hear us word for word i said don't, don't worry about it okay. so we come back on here after the break i said don't say anything she says well we're back i said erection i meant to say eruption now here's fred with the weather i not try to do well
1: handled oh man. <laughs> Wow, that's beautiful! Gosh, any other stories we're missing out on that we haven't talked to you about? Uh,
0: well, we've—you uh, got a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> was Cheryl Jones doing weather? Cheryl Jones. She replaced
2: were... me in '74 when I left in '74 at Channel Nine. She replaced me, and then she stayed there for three or so years. Went to CNN,
0: a couple of other stations. There was that one—that was that one period where I didn't miss you. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs>
1: about, I, I want to tell you about. However, you miss part of the state of Missouri <laughs> uh, when yeah. she was on
2: I, yeah. I so. love Cheryl. I, I'm an old guy. Before I lose my train of thought, I want to tell you about Wendell shoots and Ann Peterson, Don Fortune, myself, we were, were working together as a team, which was really a fun group. It was just as much fun as working with Larry and Lenny and those guys. But we always had fun no matter where we worked. But anyhow, Fortune and I were always kind of competing with each other and bugging each other all the time. And, and he knows I didn't know anything about the weather. I just I just, just talk about the weather. We're closing out the news show, and he, there's some heavy thunderstorms out around Salina. And we had a couple of seconds to kill, and he looks over at me. All the mics are open, and he says, Hey, Fred, give me an explanation of how that thunderstorm built up out around Salina. I got no idea. All I know is there's a cold Don was out mean. there. And I start to say something, and Wendell knows it. Whatever I say is going to be stupid. <laughs> he says, Fred, hold it right there. He says, Scientific explanations come quite lengthy. So, since we're on tight time parameters, hold that answer to a later date. I says, That's right, Wendell. I'll take
1: that. I'll, I'll hold that.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but that's why it was so great working with guys like Larry and Wendell because they'd give you a string and you go out, and then all of a sudden, Guys like me, we end up at the end of a string, and they always pull you back. They save you. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Because, because we're we're not always under control. Wow. So when, I was doing a show with uh, Harold Ensley one day when I was just doing weekend weather, and somebody said, hey, we ought to go out and see Harold Ensley, talk to him about fishing and, and uh, growing tomatoes because he was quite a gardener. And, And so that's, he was always one of my heroes. I just loved Harold, just God almighty. Did you ever go
0: on a trip with him? Did you go fishing with Harold ever? No,
2: I never did go fishing with him. He had asked me several times, but his kind of fishing and my kind of fishing are different. Yeah. I set out limb lines. We have a beverage once in a while and we stay up to hours of the morning. It's a long story, but anyhow, we're out there at at Harold's house and he's got a station wagon out front. We go out to the back.
0: A Ford Country sedan. uh, Yeah, you got it. Wood covered. And the
2: reason I love doing a show with Harold was because when you're doing an interview, a lot of times I don't know what to say if I, you know, I just don't have all the notes in my mind sometimes and quick enough. But with Harold, you'd say, Harold, these are great tomato plants. He could fill a half hour, I mean, instantly. And all you'd have to, yeah, okay, that's neat, Harold. And (laughs) And he could fill the time, which is great stuff. And he was always entertaining. We're supposed to do three to four minutes and the producer after the first show he said you got to run longer he said the guy is really good so he has let me run about six minutes to six and a half minutes for a two-minute weather show which is really cool so we had to hit the network at 9:30. so we do 45 15 45 15 then we're coming back to our closing show bob Thill was the anchor guy he called out said freddie we're going to let you close the show with harold you guys sit on the tailgate of his wagon oh, man that's great so they said, well, we'll come to you at uh, 25 after the hour. He says, but you've got to be off by 29.30. We're going to do a 30-second chain break and hit the network. He says, you got to be off by then, Freddie, because we've got to hit the network. So I tell Harold, because Harold doesn't have headsets on or anything. He's just talking and having fun. So Harold, here's the deal. We can talk four and a half minutes. Don't have to do anything about the weather. We just talk about maybe table rock or something like that. I said, when I got 30 seconds to go, I said, I'll have my arm behind you, and I'll just tap you on the shoulder. And I said, when I do that, wrap it up, and then I can just wrap it up. I said, I'll have 20 or 30 seconds left. He says, go to a chain break, they put a slide up, and they go to network. He says, oh, no problem, Fred. So he says, OK, here we go. He says, hey, you know, I was fishing down here around uh, Shell City, Missouri one time. I said, can't tell you how big these crappie were. He says, we're catching them running 14, 14, half, 15 inches, one right after another on a little white purple jig. I said, that's really neat. They said, one minute. He says, you know, we figured if they're biting here, we ought to go up to Truman, up by the dam. Maybe they'll go up there. And now the guy says, 30 seconds. And so I tapped him on the shoulder. He says, and you know, we caught those crappie down there at Truman. And I was like, I'm thinking of J.D. Fletcher down at Table Rock. Now the guy says, 20 seconds, Fred. So I hit him on the back. (laughs) And he just keeps on going. And then finally, the guy says, 10 seconds. And I'm going to halfway push him. I thought I was going to push him off today That's <laughs> the deal. And he said, Fred, you know, we had a heck of a trip. I'll see you next time. I said, thanks, Harold. Good day from there. And bam, we hit the net on time.
1: Once again, and I'm Fred Broski. And <laughs> away you win. He was, a, he was a great guy. Yeah, Hi, I loved Harold. Uh, Celebrity-wise, you know, they always ask any of us that have been in the media, what celebrities did you meet? Anybody come through the station? You had a chance to shake hands with, or
2: well, I met Loy Edge and I met uh, Dick Wilson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've but heard far- about that. Are they still in jail?
1: <laughs> <I think. laughs>
2: but as far as national people, it's a matter you meet them through your business. But a lot of people say, "Oh, you friends with that?" You're not friends with them. You you meet them and say hi or shake their hand one yeah, time, right. And that's it. But I I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of people. I found out most of them are pretty darn nice. I met Vincent Price when. He, he was passing through Columbia, Missouri. I did a show with uh, uh, Paul Newman at uh, the old Showa Rema in Kansas City, one okay, of the yeah. nicest guys you'd ever want to meet, Jack Lemon and Ann Margaret and, and uh, Christopher Reeves, i and yeah. a lot of them. And, and
1: Very so, cool. So
2: I've, I've met a few from time to time, but uh, real friendships you have are the ones that are nourished over the years, like uh, with some of our
1: broadcasters here. Sure, sure. Well, you've given us some great times through the years, and we want to thank you for sitting down and tell us some stories here today. We appreciate all mine. Huh? What a deal! We want to start Roste. a show.
2: Some I was thinking on our way down here, we might get a lot of the stations in the Midwest to tie in together. We'll start a show every night at ten thirty. There you I'll go. Be your announcer. You guys host the show, and I introduce Perfect. it. I got
1: you. Okay. Good. Good. I want to work Brofsky in. Done deal. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Fred. Good luck in the future. We hope to keep in touch with you and see what other fun things you're up to. And we'll be back with another interesting person to chat with in the near future. Subscribe now, whatever that means.
0: You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show.